Morning, everyone. How are we doing? Good, good. We're finishing up our series this morning, looking at our Christ in all of Scripture. And I get given the largest part of Scripture, the prophets. You know, that's, that's easy. Some, some people get a little, some people get a little tiny story about the Tower of Babel, and I get the prophets. Um, but I was really excited. I actually put my hand up for this one. Uh, and I was really excited to dig into God's Word and to, to see uh, what it said to me and then to be able to bring that uh, before everyone as we kind of meet in the middle and we hear from God together. But this morning, I've got to admit, I'm going to be making a few assumptions about us who are meeting together in this room, that we're the church, that we know Jesus as our Saviour and that we believe in God the God who is the creator and the sustainer of everything. The trouble is that if that's not you this morning, then when I share about God's true justice and his righteousness in Jesus, you might, you might have a hard time hearing what I have to say because there just might be a lot that you're trying to figure out before you can even get to God being just. And that's, that's fair enough. That's not to say that this passage isn't for you. But I hope that in sharing what God's testimony in the Bible has to say about justice and righteousness, what the prophets have to say about justice, that God would reveal his true self more and more. And, you know, that's not just for people who don't know Jesus this morning. That's a hope that I have for everyone here. That's a hope that I have for all of us. And that's what we're going to ask God for together. Would you pray with me as we begin? Heavenly Father, we thank you that um, we thank you that you meet us where we are. The trouble is, is that sometimes it's really hard, even for ourselves, to place where we are. Uh, we get caught up in things, and we don't really know where we stand with you. Sometimes, so Lord, through your Word, through your Spirit, would you reveal to us uh, where we are, and would you meet us there? Uh, and would you take us with you forward? In Jesus' name, amen. So I've become introduced to the concept of ethical fashion recently, and I became introduced to this concept by a report by Baptist Aid, actually, called The Ethical Production of Clothes. It came out recently, and it's this, it's this scale that rates how ethical um, the production of the clothes that you put on your back is. And it's, it's surprising to see what brands rate where. Each brand is given a score out of 100 that includes ratings on things like fair pay and sustainability and things like that. I was surprised to see uh, Levi's, the original jeans brand, only scored 39 out of 100. And TK Maxx, anyone guess? Eight out of a hundred. Um, and this, this sermon isn't about what clothes you should wear, but seeing these statistics, I thought, oh, you know, good on me, at least I don't buy the latest trend every six months. In fact, I keep wearing whatever I've got until it starts getting holes in it. But if I only buy new clothes every five years instead of six months, is, is that okay? Right? If, I, if I don't do the worst thing, can I say that I'm still being ethical? Because my point is that I, 
I'm sure we all feel it. We exist in a time where it's almost impossible to be truly moral, to be truly ethical. We live in a time where justice is kind of bent in all the directions and every decision that we make, every action that we take, feels like it's the, at the expense of somebody else. I was even thinking about our country, Australia. It's built on this idea of a fair go for all. I feel like um, it's revealing itself to be a place probably more likely to be built on a fair go for some. This country that's rich and prosperous, that's beautiful and it's ancient, yet it's a place where people aren't given a fair suck of the sauce bottle. Do you remember that, that 15 years ago when certain someone said that? Our Prime Minister, Kevin Rudd, used fair suck of the sauce bottle to mean that people who are hogging the sauce at the barbecue, the people who are in power, have had it long enough. It's time for someone else to have it. And this is the message of Amos, the prophet, who we heard read this morning. This is his message to the wealthy, the prosperous nation of the northern kingdom of Israel which in a lot of ways was, was lucky and blessed, just like Australia. Amos says, fair suck of the sauce bottle. Your time is up. Amos says to Israel, you think you are the lucky country because you worship God? But on the other hand, all this while, the poor and the needy are neglected. So Amos gets called to leave his home in the southern kingdom to go to the north, to go to King Jeroboam. And this is what Amos said. I'm paraphrasing. God's law can't be separated into spiritual and social categories. God's justice, his true justice, is for everyone. And for everybody who wants it, Amos says, seek God. Let God be your hope. So this morning, do we, do we want it? Um, who doesn't want justice? Do we want to be able to pursue justice amongst everything that's happening? Do you yourself want to right wrongs? Do you want to right wrongs that are done to you personally in your, in your home or perhaps even at church? Or do you want to be able to stand up for those who haven't had a fair go? Most of us, actually all of us, would say yes. But it's hard. We all know that it's hard. What hope could we ever have that's big enough to be able to pursue that kind of justice? Well, Amos has the answer. Seek God. Let God be your hope. Because it's not as though Israel didn't want justice. They're God's people. They know what it's like to be rescued. They were they were brought up from Egypt. They were rescued from slavery and brought to a land promised to them. They know what it's like to be set free. They want it. They're ready for justice. They're expecting it in something that they call the day of the Lord, which is a term that they use, that a lot, a lot of the prophets use, actually, that means it's a victory over their enemies. It's a deliverance from the evil that besets them. And yet, the first thing that Amos says in our reading is, woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. 
Now, woe isn't some old English kind of, ah, woe is me. Woe is actually a curse. It's a pronouncement of death. It's a death sentence for whoever it addresses. Amos may as well have said, if you want justice, you yourselves are already dead. Because God's victory over his enemies is a terrible thing, right? When you think, uh, think of great empires in the past and, and there are victory marches, there are, there are public pronouncements of victories. You, you see pictures of uh, V-Day, in 1945, that, that famous picture of the, the sailor kissing the girl in Times Square or whatever, and maybe you've been a part of it yourself. But God's victory over his enemies will be dark. There'll be no victory march to take part in. There'll be no memorial garden to sit in. It won't be televised. There'll be no TV broadcast to watch. The day will be darkness, not light. And he goes on, the day of the Lord, this deliverance will be unescapable. Sure, deliverance will be on every side, but Israel in this sense is not the captive, but it is the captor. And so Amos uses his words to paint a scene of the most terrifying predators in his land. The day of the Lord darkness that God would bring is as if, right, you've just escaped coming face to face with a lion, I don't know how that happens, but you have, and you brush up against a bear. I don't know if you've seen videos of people coming face to face with a bear and they stand dead still. Apparently that's the thing to do. Uh, if you see a bear in your neighborhood, which you probably won't, stay really still and the bear will think oh, you're a tree or something. You probably don't smell like a tree, but that's the thing to do. So you've, you've, you've escaped a lion, you come face to face with a bear, you stay really still and escape death again. So you run home, you lock the door behind you, you close the windows, uh, you lean up against the wall to catch your breath and you get bitten fatally by a brown snake. <laughs> there's, there's no escape. This is the picture that Amos is painting. If Israel wants justice for its neighbours, and its enemies, it must realise that it too will be reckoned with. For the chosen people of God, there's still no favouritism when it comes to the day of the Lord. What Amos says is that if you want to see the day of the Lord, you're kidding yourself. Israel, you are the enemy. You are the captor. It'll suck for you just as much as it will for your neighbours and your enemies. And if we were going through the whole book of Amos, we would find out, because we would find out the reason why God's justice would be so terrible for Israel is that there is incredible injustice in the nation of Israel. Chapter 5, verse 12, Amos writes, For I know how many are your offences and how great your sins. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes, and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. God takes issue with Israel not living the way he's set before them, right? which, which is lives of respect and lives of justice for one another. And so everything that they do to acknowledge God, all of their worship becomes useless. 
in fact, it becomes offensive to God because of the way that it doesn't line up with the way they're living. Listen to God's word to his people, perhaps even to us today. Verse 21. God says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Put your guitars away. See, this kind of worship is the worship that Israel offered to God all the while while there were those who oppressed the innocent and took bribes and deprived the poor of justice in the courts. This kind of worship that was lavish, there were big expensive festivals, festivals that were loud and joyful, festivals that were solemn and quiet. There were, there were elaborate sacrifices, there were generous offerings. It looked as though everything was going according to God's plan. But all of these things, God couldn't even stand aside of. I love the language of God holding his nose at the festivals, God closing his eyes at the sacrifices, and God plugging his ears up when the band starts. Luckily, the music this morning was great, and we didn't have to do that. But none of this worship, none of these powerful, because this is, the, the worship is a powerful act if it's done with the right intention, but none of these powerful acts that show God his people's devotion got through to him because he'd stopped accepting anything that came from the houses of religion because it ignored what was really happening. For God, it was, it was all an eyesore. It was all a putrid stench. It was all a cacophony. And so one way we can think of it is like this. Think of a road sign. We take for granted that every road sign points to wherever it actually is pointing to. If I jumped in the car and went down Main South, Ro Main South Road and followed the signs to Cape Jarvis that ended up at Victor, it wouldn't be me who's at fault. I followed the signs. The signs just took me to the wrong place. And God's problem with Israel's worship is that it was a lousy sign. It was a sinful sign, actually. Uh, look, at, look at chapter 5, verse 11. The poor were actually getting overtaxed on the very straw that they had to use to build their homes. And yet what sign of their God do they see? They see luxurious festivals. They see great sacrifices. Here, Israel's worship as a sign of the truth about God was pointing them in the opposite direction of that very truth. This was not the coming together of spiritual and social justice that pleased God. This was the separation of spiritual and social justice. And so we get to verse 24. Amos shouts aloud God's command. Let justice roll on like a, mighty, like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. I think it's really interesting that God's justice and his righteousness go hand in hand. 
and we'll pick up on that later. But what I want to focus on now is the way in which justice and righteousness come. Justice comes rolling like a river. Righteousness is steady as a never-failing stream. I was thinking about the way that rivers work. Rivers wash things away, they wash things away. But rivers also nourish and rivers also revive. A stream fed by springs may be roaring or it may just be a trickle, but it is constant and it is alive. I remember when Lil and I were living in Hobart and um, when we had nothing else to do, we would go and climb up Mount Wellington uh, in this particular time, it was in the middle of summer, and we got to Mount Wellington and we were climb, climbing up it, and I reckon for the very first time in my life, I, see, I saw water actually running off a mountain, spring water running off a mountain, not dependent on the rain or anything else like that. And so what do you do when you see running water? You think, oh, I wonder how good it tastes. Uh, so I bent down and had a drink from this water. And it was cool and it was refreshing. And, and we made our way to the top and we came back down again. And we passed by that same river and it was still going. And so I stopped to drink again. It was alive and moving, but it was also consistent and steady. And Amos wants to tell Israel that this is the hope they should have in God, that his justice washes away, that it also nourishes and revives, that his righteousness is everlasting, it's constant and alive. But the question for Israel and the question for us this morning is do they, do they actually want this kind of justice? Or are they happy performing? Do they want to be set right with God? And if so, what about that question we asked at the beginning? What kind of hope would they ever have? What kind of hope would we ever have that is big enough to pursue that kind of justice? Because what Amos was preaching against is any hope that justice would come by having the right people in power by comparing our nation with the right kind of nation, our households to the right kind of household, or giving just the right kind of worship at just the right time. Instead, he preached a message that nobody wanted to hear. If you want justice from God for others, you better accept the justice that he brings to you too. If we are on the wrong side of God on this day of the Lord, this day of deliverance and justice, we face his judgment. And trust Amos, you don't want to be there. Because for us, just like that ethical fashion chart I mentioned, it's impossible to come off squeaky clean in this world. That's our sinful nature. It feels like every decision or action we make is at the expense of someone else. And for us as the church, if we are worshipping but fail to love our neighbours, our worship is a lousy sign that points away from God's truth rather than to it. And as Jesus calls us to go out and make disciples, 
to call people to follow him, if we want people to follow what we're doing and we're being lousy signs, everyone else will end up going down the wrong road too. But there is hope for those who wish to pursue God's justice. This justice that will be life-giving and eternal. But the problem is that it's, it's hard to reconcile how Amos describes the darkness of the day of the Lord and the contempt with which God sees our attempts to do the right thing, right? How does eternal life and judgment come together? Well, it comes together in a person. Justice for God is personal. And a person who, like Amos, leaves their home to come and preach amongst people who need to hear it. A person who can hold judgment and eternal life together. Someone to whom justice and righteousness comes so naturally that it really does feel as though it's just, it's just flowing through them like a river. Someone whose worship was true and proper, where people could actually see that it came from the right place. Now, the followers of this man tell the story of a woman at a well. This woman was an outcast. People denied her community and avoided her like the plague just because of her sexual history and how well known it was. And so she was forced to draw water from the village well in the hottest part of the day. And she was suffering for it. She was suffering for the injustice. And so one day a man met her there, Jesus, who is justice. And Jesus told her that everyone who drinks this well water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so the woman says, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. In that, sorry, in the exact same place where she knew the judgment of everyone around her, she actually found eternal life in Jesus. And so she turned back home and brought the whole village to hear what Jesus had to say. Her restored relationship with God could be seen in the way that God worked through her life. She led others and everyone worshipped in spirit and in truth because of the true justice found in the person of Jesus. No longer was she the woman who people avoided like the plague, but now she was the woman who, despite her history, found justice for herself and in her community through that well of life. And the good news this morning is that Jesus' well runs deep. He offers eternal life because he himself is eternal. In him we see God, the God who could care less about the songs that we sing to him if we fail to treat one another as he treats us. In him, in Jesus, we see someone who's, who's ready for the day of the Lord, even though it comes at a great cost. In him we see the darkness of God's judgment embraced 
for us. You see, Jesus is teaching on lifting up the poor, the meek, the lowly, came true for everyone and possible for everyone everywhere on the cross. The cross sentenced the death that was supposed to be ours to death and set life free for all. The cross was an outpouring of justice and righteousness, a demonstration of true justice. Jesus, the just, for us, the unjust. Jesus, who is perfect for us, who cannot be perfect. And it's our faith in him, our faith in Jesus, his death and resurrection. It's in that that we too can hope to pursue this true justice. This morning, even if that scares you, even if it confuses you, even if it goes against everything that you know to be true, why? Why wouldn't you put faith in it? Because this was the lot of the this was the lot of the disciples who came to see Jesus be crucified on the cross. Not all of Jesus' followers actually came to see what he came to earth to do. Which is I mean, it, it's almost fair enough because Jesus was a criminal. They would have been associating with someone on the wrong side of the law. They were fearful. The day was literally dark. The sky was blackened over. And yet John's gospel records Jesus as he was giving his final breath, telling his mother who stood at the feet of him as he was raised up on the cross, he told his mother that she would be cared for. In the ancient world, in a world without social security, it was hard to be a widow or, or to be a woman without a man. Yet God's true justice in Jesus found one final moment to reveal itself to the world before Jesus died. He pointed his mother out to John, who was one of his disciples, and he said to John, here is your mother. Jesus, even as he was dying on the cross for us, he brought care and well-being to those who were suffering even as he suffered. He brought new relationships, a new way of life, even as he gave up his own life. And his resurrection proves to us that God is content. He's satisfied with Jesus' work. God's true justice in Jesus is enough for us. It's enough for all of us here this morning. And if you believe that, if that's you, if you know that Jesus' death was in place of your own and that justice was done in him, here's the thing to take away. Here's what I want us to take away. If God's justice was in his person, it's now in his people. Jesus told everyone in John 7, um, chapter 7, verse 37, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit, the presence of the living Jesus within us, guiding us, forming us to know him and to live like him.
rivers of living water will flow from within them. So here's what I think is being prompted for us to do, and I, I put it in a little, little short, neat package, um, but I'm going to explain it. I think what is being prompted by justice and righteousness flowing like water is the call for us to get in that water, to get caught up in the water. See, that's what I would ask everyone to do, get in the water, because the spirit is within us, and it's flowing, it's bursting out of our bellies. And so it's our response to get in that water. The, the, the justice and the righteousness that flows like streams. So, when God's justice seems awkward for you, and when you have to go out on a limb, maybe God's justice is calling you to connect with someone that is just plain hard work. Know what's flowing out of you. Know what's coming out of your belly. Rivers of justice. Streams of God's righteousness. Get in the water. When God's justice is hard, and it's definitely going to be a losing scenario for you to do the right thing, whether you lose out on relationships or time, maybe sleep or money, Know what's flowing out of you. Rivers of justice, streams of God's righteousness. Get in the water. When God's justice seems hidden, when you are called to be the one to bring hidden things into the light so that God's truth can be seen for what it is, know what's flowing out of you. Rivers of justice, streams of God's righteousness. Get in the water. Because the problem, I think, with a fair suck of the sauce bottle is that someone's left holding the empty bottle. At a barbecue, there's, there's only so much to go around. Someone is going to miss out. But the hope we have in Jesus is that God's justice is cosmic. It's personal. And it's for everyone. It's real life and it's eternal. It does away with our sin and it brings hope to the hopeless. See, there's no scarcity when it comes to true justice. And there is every hope in Jesus that we can pursue it. We don't need to be worried about spending our efforts, or uh, sorry, we don't need to be worried about it running out or there not being enough to go around. We only need to realise that there are rivers of it, streams of eternal life, where what we do is of eternal importance. We only need to get in the water. And one way we do this as a church is by the act and the remembrance of communion. The Apostle Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until it comes. So this morning, if you're willing, will you let this time be a time where we acknowledge God's justice in Jesus? That even on the night that he was betrayed, he brought people into a community that shared bonds beyond last names, beyond pay packets or suburbs? Can we let God do his justice for us as we remember Jesus' death? Can we know that our sins are forgiven, our chains are broken, and a new way of life is ahead of us? If you're sitting there and you think, I, I, I can't do it, that's okay. Just as I said, God's justice is personal and it is for everyone. And the good thing is, um, the good thing is, it's, it's going nowhere. The river is still flowing. So as, as we come up as a church, feel free to stay in your seat and reflect. But if so, if that's you, if you can let God do justice for you as you remember Jesus' death, could you let Jesus serve you in the bread and the cup? And knowing the life of the Spirit that flows out of you, could you possibly just imagine getting in that water, dipping your toes in first, going up to your ankles, until you're deep enough, ready to dive in. And as you come up out of the water, you see those who aren't in it standing on that river's banks. And you're able, with all your heart, in all truth and spirit, you're able to call out to them, come in, the water's beautiful.